favor of God. For her to even have been called to say, look, uh, this, you passed the test. Come for an interview. She's written that test many times and she didn't pass. But when favor sets in, uh, where there has been rejection, there's acceptance. Say amen, somebody. Amen. When favor is working, you just begin to ask funny questions. From where to where? How is this? How is this possible? Why is it happening this way? Whatever questions you ask <laughs> in this season, you'll get an answer for it. Amen. In the precious name of Jesus. And at the end of the day, you see the favor of God in manifestation. I said you'll see the favor of God in manifestation. In the precious name of Jesus. Ask your neighbor with me, how was your week? Okay, uh, okay, now I'm asking you, how was your week? Okay, some people are saying great, some people are saying nothing. Uh, but I agree from that sister that it's great for everybody. <laughs> In Jesus' precious name. I declare that as you go into this new week, God's greatness will show up for you. Uh, a door is opening for you. A door that no man can shut. In the precious name of Jesus. It's a month of love. And one of the ways we've been showing love this month is just to give each other a smile. So smile at your neighbor right now. Yeah. If you don't feel like smiling, do it on behalf of the pastor. Yeah. Just, just, just make sure you smile at somebody. And if you don't smile, I'm not going to preach. Because <laughs> I'm seeing some people who are not smiling. Smile, smile, smile. Praise God. Praise God. How was Valentine's Day? Somebody say, Pastor, don't go there. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> yeah, you see, some people say, exactly. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> but I hope you got, if you're on our mailing list, you, you have gotten a Valentine's card. Yeah, on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Did you love that? Uh, yeah. So even if you didn't receive card from anybody, you got from your church. Praise God. And we did something else. I sent, you know, almost all the single ladies in this church. I, I said almost because I know some people may not be on, the, on, our, on our database. But all the single ladies we had on our database, you all got a personalized text message from me on, on Valentine's Day. Yes. Yes, I made sure that the name of everybody was written. Every person that got that text was personalized, was deliberate. Because I just wanted to know that the love of God is flowing in this house. And that even if you didn't get a gift and nobody, you know, bothered to say happy Valentine, your pastor is saying it. Yes, and I'm saying it on behalf of God with no ulterior motive. <laughs> And so you must receive it and internalize it and know that God cannot forget you. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Yeah, God cannot forget you. Because this season is a season of love and, you know, celebration of love and all that. Uh, but we're all at different phases in life. And for some people, it reminds you of some other things. And that's the time to just put your mind on God. Instead of allowing the devil to, uh, you know, make you focus 
on what can sink your, your, your emotion or make you depressed. Praise God. I said, praise God. So how, how was Valentine? Oh, how is, how is Valentine now that I've spoken? Valentine is good, right? All right. Praise God. I want you to join me in your Bibles in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, because I heard somebody saying, Pastor, get into the word. Leave Valentine alone. Yes, Romans 13. I continue with the Love Clinic this morning, a series that we started a few weeks ago, the beginning of the month. And we thank God for all the healings and all the testimonies coming from this series. Believe that God will perfect what he has started in Jesus' name. Romans 13, I'm sharing on what I've titled, Daring Greatly, the Courage to Love and Be Loved. Daring Greatly, the Courage to Love and Be Loved. In Romans 13, I read from verse 8 to 10. It says, Hold no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The Lord bless the reading of his word. The Bible says here that love is the fulfillment of the law. We have approached love this season from the point of view of healing, from the point of view of you know, definite connections, uh, for, from the point of view of wholeness, and also from the point of view of a way of life. Last Sunday I was talking about loving the unlovable. It's a way of life that God wants us to embrace because we have seemingly unlovable people all around us. And there's nothing we can do about them. The truth is you can't change anyone. It takes God to change anyone. So, how do we keep loving as a way of life? Knowing that God is counting on us to demonstrate his love. The Bible says God is love and whosoever loves is of God. And this scripture here says, Hold no man nothing. Don't hold any man anything except for love. That you love them, you show them love, you give and you receive love. In fact, the truth is that you know, from my, my studies of many years, I've realized that life only becomes interesting. Life only becomes something to look forward to when you can say that love is flowing from you and love is flowing to you. In fact, when it's one way or one-sided, it, it creates tension in life. Love, you know, must be Flowing from you and flowing to you. That's what makes life interesting. 
That's what makes life fulfilling. It's under that kind of atmosphere that we can fulfill destiny. Many of us, like we said uh, two weeks ago, we cannot function. You remember the message, when love hurts. You cannot function when love is not flowing to you. Especially the way it's supposed to be flowing. Why do we have agitations in marriage and, you know, a, a dysfun- what, what's a dysfunctional marriage? A dysfunctional marriage is the one in which love is probably only flowing in one direction and it's not flowing in the opposite direction or it's not flowing at all. The marriage becomes dysfunctional. If one person is the only one showing love, marriage is dysfunctional. If, if, if no, love is not flowing from either party, they're just flatmates. They're no longer married. And then the marriage becomes highly disposable, like I taught last September. If you weren't here, I wanted to get uh, um, Mr. and Mrs. Better Half Season 2. Marriage becomes disposable, just like tissue, tissue paper. You use and throw away. When love, which is the essence for intimacy, for every other thing that we enjoy in marriage, when it's flowing, you know, back and forth. And it takes courage to keep loving. It takes courage to keep receiving love. And that's what we're discussing this morning. Daring greatly the courage to love and be loved. If you have never engaged courage for anything in your life, it's time to engage courage to love. At least it will give you peace of mind for every other thing you want to do in life. Some of us need courage to start a new enterprise. Some need courage to take up a new position. A lady walked up to me after the last service and said, Pastor, you just spoke about courage to love me as I speak now. See, my husband is here. We're loving each other. But I need courage for the position I'm resuming tomorrow morning. It's a marketing director position. What I applied for was manager. They gave me director. I didn't know how to handle it. And I held her hand, received courage. I prayed with her. <laughs> and I said, see, all of us, all of us in this church, we are behind you. <laughs> Add all of our courage together and go and resume. I said, when you get there, if there's trouble, call me. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to <laughs> pump people. And it's the same thing. When someone Instead of getting love back, you have loved what people have crushed your heart over and again. You get to a point where you just resign and tell yourself, I'm not loving again. And you see, when people resign from loving again, what happens? They themselves start to struggle to love other people. Yeah. Love becomes a struggle when you especially have made up your mind that you are going to refuse love flowing to you. Then you yourself become a struggler. In giving out love. Because it's supposed to be flowing freely. For you, from you, and to you. That's what makes life interesting. But it takes a lot of courage. I, I, I got this piece out of uh, to the Roosevelt uh, um, speech titled The Man in the Arena. The speech he gave uh, April 23rd, 1910 in Paris, France. Uh, that, the, 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 that was a period where there was a need for a lot of motivation you know, around the world because of all the different things happening then, uh, this, 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 
uh, particular speech has made around, you know, around the world. When you, if you just, you know, maybe Google the man in the arena or something like that, you'll see all sorts. There's an almanac on, on Facebook with this on it, you know, with thousands of likes and different things. Uh, and I feel this way, this really captures what I'm talking about when it talks to, you know, when it comes to real courage, real courage, real courage. It says, it's not the critic who counts, nor not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is mad by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who hears. Who comes short again and again? Because there is no effort without error and shortcomings. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotion? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the hand the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place, his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. When you resign to faith, when it comes to loving, when you refuse to embrace and cultivate the courage to love, you belong to the last category that he mentioned there. Those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. That will not be your portion in the precious name of Jesus. So it takes a lot of courage to love, especially the God kind of love. And when you read through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, I want to pick out a character this morning that I want us to just look through. It's a man that even God himself this is a, said, this is a man after my own heart. His name is David. David demonstrated the courage that made God look at him and said, the, the throne or the kingdom of David shall be an everlasting kingdom. By implication, from this lineage, this is where I will always look for, for reality. Why? Because of what a man did. One man. And amongst many things that you can claim that David did, I, I, I just want to pick out this one in line with this discussion this morning, which is that courage to love even in the face of danger. David chose the love of God to flow through him and flow, you know, from him. I mean, flow to him and flow from him to other people. And we can see it, you know, from just looking at a particular point in his life and how he aligned himself with God's purpose for that time, walking in love. And I'm talking about no other time in his life uh, but the time that he was kept in waiting. <laughs> you know what happened to David? They gave him a letter of appointment as CEO. But they told him, shh, this appointment takes effect when the current CEO dies. 
And you know what? Because of love, you are not permitted to kill him. That was what happened to David. David had no hand in Saul's dealings with God. Saul was sacked by God. David was not in the picture. So it wasn't David's fault that Saul was sacked. Saul walked his way out of God's heart by simple disobedience. Simple disobedience. I'm going to read that account from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 to 23. Saul had been given a charge by God to go to Amalek and destroy the place. You can read further if you're asking the question, why did God decide to destroy Amalek? Go and read 1 Samuel. But God wanted to destroy Amalek and sent Saul, the king of Israel, saw God to Amalek. Destroyed everything but left the king, Agag. And then looked around and the modern day terminologies, if you say, uh, Saul kind of looked around, saw the official cars in Amalek, Lexus, Jeep, and co. And just said, boys, all these ones, take them to my garage. And I looked at the balance sheet of Amalek and saw their investments in the stock market. All the ones that are doing very well, packed all of them and took them. You know, bring all the papers, you know, transfer to this place. And right from where Samuel, the prophet of God, was sitting, he started to, <laughs> in the spirit, had the, the bleating of sheep. And God said, that's, that's so, that's so. Is a disobedient child. Go to him now and tell him to his face that I've rejected him. And this was what happened here. Samuel got to where Saul was. And this was what Samuel said. So Samuel said, verse uh, 22 of 1 Samuel 15, As the Lord has great delight in bond offering and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is at the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So on that at that particular moment, on that particular occasion, Saul was sacked from being king over Israel, God's people. And if we read the last verse of 1 Samuel 15, God had to tell Samuel, oh, uh, I mean, uh, it was, the account was there that Samuel never appeared before Saul again until the day, I mean, until Saul passed on. Never showed up in front of Saul again. And in verse, I think in chapter 16, the earlier uh, verses there, God spoke to Samuel. Why are you still mourning over Saul? Forget about Saul. Saul's era is over. It's like, you know, let's, let's move on. Go to the house of Jesse and anoint me a king there. And that was how David showed up in this story. David showed up in this manner. Saul went to the house of Jesse, the father of David. David was a boy of no significance, no stature, no, nothing, nothing comely about David, truly, because he got to the house of his father and they could not even remember that he was a, a son in the house. There were bigger boys in the house. 
David's brothers, Eliab, all those boys, with big biceps and all that, you know, fine boys. Saul got to the house of David's father, and he said, bring out your sons. And he paraded all his sons. And Saul saw one of them and said, this is the Lord's, I mean, sorry, Samuel saw one of them and said, this is the Lord's anointed. And God had to speak to him, prophet, are you smoking something? <laughs> it looks like <laughs> you're not hearing me. This is, this is not my anointed. If Samuel had to ask, oh, do you have any other boy? Then he now remembered, yeah. Oh, there was one boy like that. It's the backside of the desert, you know. And the man said, we will not sit until you have brought this boy today. So David did not start out in his father's house like Joseph, who had coats of many colors and, you know, preferential treatment and all that. No. Wild boys were like Jesse at home. He was at the backside of the desert. And his father did not even remember that he was there. And that was the person God has chosen. But it became more tricky when David came. Samuel anointed him as king. But his kingship will not take effect, even though he had been anointed. So he became the man in waiting. And when you are in waiting, a lot of the time, you don't have the time to show love. You want to just move. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's like, the, it's like when a sister has started to see that, you know, or when a brother has received a sister, like we say in the kingdom, has received, but you can't talk yet. And uh, you are now seeing other people around the sister. You feel like throwing a stone at them. To say, leave there. <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's sisters, you like a guy, but you know that it's not appropriate for you to say that you like the brother. So you are praying in your closet, and God is assuring you that don't worry. Whatever I've ordained for you, you will get there. If this is my will for you, you will get this brother. So you see the brother after the service, and the sister, they are walking to the car park together, and you're looking. Where are you from? That's what you're saying. Who are you? <laughs> I will pray for you when I get home. You better leave that place. <laughs> See, that, that, that's, that's, that's the kind of situation that David was into. And you know what happened? Because God rejected Saul. Saul started to misbehave. In fact, you know, you know how you know that God is far away from you you start to make stupid mistakes. In fact, if anyone is under the influence of this service today and you are making seriously stupid mistakes, you need to go back to your prayer closet and ask yourself, God, what is happening? Saul started to, in fact, what happened? The moment David was anointed and vacancy was declared upon the throne of Israel, Saul started to misbehave. Evil spirits started to worry his life. And then the only person that was found who can play on the harp to help him to soothe this affliction was David. So David was called to the palace and David would play on the harp and Saul would feel better. The spirit would leave him temporarily. And as if that wasn't good enough, then Saul went to battle and was supposed to represent, I mean, to stand as king at the valley of Elah against this giant called Goliath. But don't forget, God had rejected Saul. 
So he lacked the courage and the grace to face, to face Goliath. And when the king abdicates his responsibility, the throne is truly vacant. What didn't occur to Saul was that whoever brought down Goliath is actually the real king of Israel. But he didn't have the anointing again. Because when the anointing is upon a man, what he will say is that I would rather die in battle as a king than be on the throne and somebody is taking my place. So this small boy with the anointing of God on his life brought down Goliath. And you know that women, they love to sing praises of winners. Winner, oh, winner, winner, oh, winner. David, you don't win, oh. <laughs> so women started to sing. David, I mean, Saul has killed his thousands. David is 10,000. They arrogated Goliath to be a 10,000 worth of men. That was what David brought down. And Saul became crazier, even at the sound of that. David was, was in his chamber once. Saul took up, took, took up a javelin at close range. I studied very carefully to understand the king's chamber. It's not a seriously big space. Maybe like two or three times your, your normal sitting room. So it was at close range. It took providential help for David not to be killed that day. Threw the javelin at him. David was able to dodge it. And from that day, David knew there was trouble. Is there someone here you felt that before? Somebody spoke one word to you and it was like a javelin. Came straight into your heart. Somebody who is supposed to or give a good recommendation of you said something completely different. Someone told you that in this place, both of us cannot be here together. See that somebody will leave or somebody will stay. Like I said last Sunday, some of the offices that some of us work, they are worse than PDP. The kind of politics that go on there. Yeah. I reckon with that. I recognize that. Some of the offices that some of us work, some of the people that you work with there, they're supposed to be AP, APC members. They're not supposed to be working in any office. They're supposed to be politicians. Because they are full-time politicians. They do their real work part-time. No, that's the truth. That's the way some people work. You hire an accountant. Instead of the person to do the work, the accounting work itself is done part-time. But politicking is a full-time job. They talk all the time, moving from one place to the other, and you know whatever things that shouldn't even concern them, they're interested. They want to know who is coming there, who is going there. As far as they're concerned, life is like a chessboard. You know, just move people, do and undo. And when you work with such people, before you know it, seeds are planted in your heart to be like them. With all that David encountered in the hand of Saul, God tried David. And David was not found wanting, especially as far as love is concerned. David loved greatly. He demonstrated the courage to love even when it was not convenient. Even when it was not convenient, he demonstrated the courage to love. David was very vulnerable. Vulnerable. He allowed himself to be vulnerable. You know what it means for David 
to be coming into a covenant with Jonathan, Jonathan being the son of Saul? How can you cause a covenant with the son of your enemy? How can you be that vulnerable to say, this is where I want to receive love from? You know, some of us, the way we grew up, especially if you're like me, you grew up in a polygamous home, and uh, your stepmother is the enemy of your mother. And your mother will tell you, if I see you with her children, see this cane, I will finish it on your life. So from growing up, you know, you know that the, this, the, the children of the enemy of my mother, they are my enemy. And we have, you know, walls that separate us. Lines that people must not cross. Some of us grew up that way. And it is, there's a lot of bitterness and animosity and strife. And then we carry it from home if we are not healed. And if we don't have encounters with Jesus, carry it like that into the workplace. Carry it like that even into our own nuclear family that we're setting up. I tell you the truth. If you don't push what you have experienced in the past behind, they can follow you even into just husband-wife relationship. Yeah. We begin to see ourselves. The woman says, I'm Asana. The man says, I'm man you. In the same house. I'm asking, I'm saying. That's the kind of attitude that we put up sometimes. As if we're playing for different clubs. And we're married. And we're supposed to be one team. And sometimes because of where we're coming from, we bring it back into our own family. We'll bring it back. We'll bring it to the office. We'll bring it everywhere. So it becomes very difficult to really walk in love. David's encounter with Saul created a very serious atmosphere for grief, for animosity, for, for him not, never to be vulnerable. But it demonstrated the courage to engage peace in the midst of turmoil, to engage you know, kindness even when the man was showing cruelty. The grace to remain on the path of truth. The courage to forgive and the courage to live in obedience. These were all the, the courage that David demonstrated. Let me show you how he demonstrated some of this courage. In 1 Samuel 24, David had the first opportunity to kill Saul. Saul was all over, wanting to, to, to as if Saul got information that Samuel actually anointed David. Saul wanted to just kill him, take him out. And just because he was stealing the show by killing Goliath. Look, look, look at this encounter in 1 Samuel 24. The first time that David was spared the life of Saul. Now it happened when, 1 Samuel 24 verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that he was told, saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 men, just to go and kill one man. He mobilized all his influence together. 3,000 men from, from all Israel and went to seek David and all his men in the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfold by the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to, the, to attend to his needs. Saul actually went to the cave to ease himself. David and his men were staying 
in the recess of the cave. They were in the recess of the cave. Look at what happened. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Look at what happened here. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. I mean, look at that. That's the kind of heart that I want. Tap your neighbor and say, you need that kind of heart. David and his men were in the cave. Saul strayed into the cave to ease himself. Saul must have, you know, with all his rope, doing the needful. You understand what I'm saying? And David and his men were in the recess part of the cave, and they saw him. And the boy said, Ha, bros, this is the day that the Lord has made. We should do and undo. Just strike him. And David went closer. You know, the king's rope. And just cut the hedge. Just cutting the hedge. The Bible says his heart troubled him. He must have heard that small hedge. And, you know, almost in tears. What have I done? Are you the kind of person that will speak evil about people and your heart will not even prick you at all? You talk people down, slice them to bits with your mouth and your heart does not even touch you at all. David only cut just the hem of his garment and his heart was too troubled. His heart was troubled. Look at, look, look, look at what, 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 is, what he said to, to, to the boys there. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servant with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went his way. It was afterwards that David came out of the cave too and called Saul. And Saul looked at David and noticed that he had the opportunity to kill him and he didn't kill him. He was saying, you are more righteous than I am. But that didn't take the evil spirit away. He still went after him after that. But where am I going? Can we all trust God for that kind of heart? The heart that can be troubled when we are walking out of love. I hope you understand what I'm saying. A heart that can be troubled when I'm, I'm breaking the boundary of love walk. When I'm stepping into gossip, I'm backbiting. When I'm beginning to paint my spouse bad, can my heart trouble me? When I have the opportunity to take my, my boss's job, and I can just say one or two things to turn the situation around and I'll get the job. Can I be restrained from talking? That's the kind of heart that David demonstrated here. Tap another neighbor and tell them, I need that kind of heart. Praise God. I said, praise God. Now, 
Let, let, let's, let's take this a little further and then I'll start to round off. 1 Samuel 26. The second demonstration of the courage to love. The second encounter that David had upon which he would have destroyed his enemy by himself. For it took courage, a lot of courage for him to be restrained. In 1 Samuel 26, when you read from verse 5 to 11, let's read the story. Uh, um, so David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Nair, the commander of his army, that's Saul's army, and Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, the son of Zeruah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And look at that. One guy volunteered. Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Habner and the people all lay around him. They were all sleeping. God made the spirit of slumber to descend upon them. It was a second opportunity for David to prove himself before God. Don't forget, these were all tests that God took David through. It looked like an opportunity, but it was a test. A lot of the time, opportunities to misbehave present themselves, but they are actually an op- a test from God. A test from God. So look at what, what ensued here. So, um, so David and Abishai came to the, to, to the people by night and there saw laid sleeping within the camp with his spear, his spear stuck in the ground by his head and Abner and all the people around him. They were all sleeping. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please, let me strike him at once with despair. Right to the heart. I will, and I will not have to strike him a second time. I wish I said, you know what? You're a good man. But you know what? Move, move. Just give me permission. I will do for you a neat job. Neat. You know, you know that's what some people will say. You know what? It's a neat job. Nobody will trace it to you, you know, anything. Let me just do it. Let's take this guy out. It's a neat job. I will strike him only once. I promise you, just once. And that's the end of it. And the next thing is, you'll be king. Say this is the day that God has delivered your enemy into your hand. How many of us want our enemies to be delivered into our hands? Now you are not talking. If I, if I ask this question before now, everybody would have said yes. It's a dangerous thing for God to deliver your enemy into your hand. It's a test. Remember last Sunday I was reading, God said, vengeance is mine. And I will repay. I said, that's God's assignment. Focus on your assignment. But I said, for you, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. 
If he starts giving water, but for me, that's my job. I am called the judge of the universe. So vengeance is mine. I'm the one that repay. You face your assignment. And that's what you see here. Look at what David said. David understood that concept. That vengeance is God's. And that if you want to live in peace and you want to meet your God and be at peace with him, love all men. Show them some love. There are people, listen to me here this morning, that people God will put in your heart, send them a gift, even though they've hurt you badly. The gift, I mean, just do it dispassionately. Just, 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 just obey the word of God. It takes courage to walk with God. It takes courage to be a man after God's heart. It takes courage to imbibe the nature of God, which is love. It takes a lot of courage. It's not easy, but it is doable. David demonstrated it. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Now, somebody can be saying here, David did all this because Saul happened to be the anointed. It's like saying, don't talk bad about your pastor. Boy, Edosha, cut him down. I mean, that, is, that, is that not what people say sometimes? Because David was saying that nobody can touch the Lord's anointed, you know, and all that. For your information, Saul was ex-anointed as at that time. God rejected him a long time ago. But David still has regard for Saul in his heart. By implication, the love of God is to flow from us to all men, regardless of stature, regardless of position or anything. Every human being is an extension of God because we all derive from God. Are you still with me? I said, are you still with me? So David says, <laughs> says no one can Stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. David said, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to touch him. He has three options. God himself can kill him. Or he will just naturally, when his day has come, die. Or he goes to battle and they strike him down. And the last one was what happened. Yeah. On his own, he went to battle. They struck him. He was wounded. Then one Amalekite came and he said, just finish me, kill me. And the, <laughs> the young man killed Saul, took his uh, crown of the, you know, all, all the paraphernalia of office that showed that he was the king. Took everything and went to David. <laughs> was a stupid man. He didn't know he was dealing with. So in 2 in, 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 in Samuel chapter 1, this guy went to David and said, now the Lord has finished your enemy. He can then become king. And said, what do you mean? He said, Saul died today. He said, what happened to him? He said, I met him. And he said, I should kill him. And I killed him. Ah! David said, you did the wrong thing. With your mouth, you have committed yourself today. He said, cut his head. Cut his head. 
Even at Saul's death, David still honored him. And the person who killed Saul, David still killed him. For some of us, you buy that guy a jeep for fast-tracking the will of God. Am I saying the truth? Yes, I am. You killed him. Ah. Correct guy. Come, 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 come. Take cabinet position. Yeah. I can trust you. But it's a lie. David took the guy out. Said, anyone that will try to help God in this situation cannot be my friend. The big question today is, can you truly say that there's courage in my heart to love and to receive love? I can go on and on and on. David had the opportunity to receive love from Jonathan. He received it, despite the fact that Jonathan happened to be Saul's son. We can read another part of the scripture where David had this encounter with Abigail and Nabal. Nabal being a very stupid man. The Bible says that Nabal was sharing uh, um, is, is, is something they call sharing uh, the, the ship and it, usually you call many people to come in. It's like you throw a party because you have to feed everyone who comes to work for you. And David had been meeting his men while they were rearing his animal and they would be attacked and David people would defend them. And then David told his guys they were hungry that day. Why not go and meet Nabal? Now that he has a party, maybe he can give us something to eat and package some stuff for us. So the guys went and met Nabal. The Bible says Nabal was a foolish man. Nabal looked at them and said, ah. Hmm. You know, in my language, they say, you will see. That this is, this is, this is, this is beneath me. How can, how can this fugitive, this boy? He said, there are many guys, young men these days, who won't stay in their, in their, in their master's house. They just move around like evil spirits. See, see this one, send him. He told them off. Told them to get out. Those guys went to meet David. David was nothing rejection. For a man, unprotected man, to reject him again. David told the guys, get your, your arms in place. Let's go. We'll strike him. So I said, David was not really a perfect man. He was on his way. But one of their servants told Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the way the master spoke to David's boys, what will come out of it will not be good. Though, because those guys have been good to us. It was our opportunity to bless them back, but master was being stupid. His wife ran and met them on the road. For the first time in a long time, David saw love. This woman got down, praised him, called him, my Lord. Said, don't, don't worry yourself about the man. Said, you, have you not heard his name? Neighbor. Neighbor means foolishness. He said he just acted out his name. Don't take it out on him. He was just acting out his natural self. But we recognize you as a man after God's heart. Take. Let you and your men, you know, just eat and everything. To say that David has the heart to receive love, even in the face of rejection. And he won't say no, no. I gave him one chance. One chance. He blew down one chance. I deal with him. David took everything from Abigail and they left. A few days later, Nabal had a heart attack and died. 
Read it. He didn't say heart attack, but it looked like it. Truly. Because what happened to him was heart attack. He just, he had a heart attack and died. And then the next thing David said was that, ah, that woman that knows how to show love, come and get her. I need somebody like that around me. I need love to be flowing to me. Let her be doing it every day. Yeah. My head will be calm and correct. Because the woman was able to make him not to misbehave. This one time that the blood of a man would have been on his head. The woman averted it. And it was because he was open and vulnerable enough to listen to the woman. Not to trample over her. To receive love from her. In closing today, how do we cultivate the courage to love? I'll go through a list. We have cut this list out in papers. Um, hospitality unit, do we still have those stuff to be distributed? All right. As you are going out, you'll pick one. This is my prayer. That the one you pick will truly be the one that God wants you to work on. And I want everybody to live with that one paper, read, read it, and go and pray about it. You know, the remaining part of this weekend and all through this week. That God will help you to be able to cultivate, you know, the courage to love and be loved. The first thing is to cultivate authenticity. Let go of what people think. Cultivate authenticity. Be authentic in yourself. If it was about what people thought, David should have killed Saul a long time. All the people around him said, God has delivered him to your hand. They told him, do as occasion have you. But his love for God and for man was authentic. Even in the face of temptation, he was able to stand his ground. So it's time to cultivate authenticity. To let go of what people think. Secondly, cultivate self-compassion. Self-compassion. Let go of perfectionism. What self-compassion? Lack of self-compassion will not... Will, will, will not allow you to receive love. You feel you have to qualify for everything. Some people are effective. They love to do things well. But for some other people, it's lack of self-compassion that wants to kill, that wants to make you kill yourself to achieve perfection. Perfection. Perfection is good. But if it's because you feel you, you have to do something to to gain people's respect or, you know, things like that, then it becomes something else. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying this afternoon. The ability to cultivate self-compassion, let go of perfectionism because it stops you from receiving love. You always feel you have to qualify. Cultivate resilient, a resilient spirit. Let go of numbness and powerlessness. Cultivate a resilient spirit. You see, when a man has a resilient spirit, even at the provocation of your wife, you won't throw that punch. The resilient spirit will bring something deep in your heart that can make you just walk away. Maybe take your car and just drive off. Just, just go and take fresh breeze and come back home. That's a resilient spirit. Somebody needs to cultivate that. All this numbness and powerlessness. Ah. Oh, provoke me. (laughs) 
You understand what I'm saying? He, he, he provoked me or she provoked me. Uh, I didn't know what to do again. Because you ask, ah, where do you get black eye from? It's my husband. Ah, what happened? Bros, when you are not Ogambasi or, or Mike Tyson, what, what's happening here? And truly, if you want to fight, you go to the stadium and meet your colleagues. Let's know if you survive that real one. This one of flexing muscle at home <laughs> with somebody that cannot fight you. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> without any apologies to men. Some men truly should go to motor park if they want to fight. <laughs> truly, where you have Amugo boys and demonstrate that you have muscle, not at home. As in, if, you, if, you, if the devil really wants to move you to fight, tell him, move me to the motor park. You know, in Nigeria, we, motor park is a place where you have real, the real boys. Yes. And then try, try your luck there. Let's see how it pans out. But this one that you want to turn your living room into a boxing arena, cultivate resilience. Go and, I mean, just, just, just. Just go and get fresh air somewhere and tell God, thank you for grace. If not for grace. You know? I mean, look at what happened when, when Abigail met David. I'm sure David would have been saying, ah! God, why did you, ah! Why did you allow this woman to come? I would have shown this man my capacity. See men, see something. They would trample over everything. That party will be torn to shreds. Then you will know that there's a man in Israel that has Strong men. The Bible described the men of David. They were warriors. These guys went out on a snowy day and killed a bear with bare hand. Those are the men that were following David. And then one guy, we said, give us the love fries and you're making noise. <laughs> What's the meaning of that? <laughs> How you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And David was like, what kind of human being is this? Don't you know who he's talking It's time to cultivate resilience, a resilient spirit. Let go of numbness and powerlessness. When you feel that powerlessness, call for grace. The strength of God starts from when my strength stops. I hope you understand what I'm saying. That's the resilient spirit that we're talking about. When I cannot take what my husband is doing again, grace can come upon me to take it in a new way. And I will still walk in love Whatever grief the, griefs the heart of God will not come from me because I made a decision to love. Like I said two Sundays ago, love is not just an emotion, it's a decision. I've made a decision to love. It's when it becomes a decision that the emotional part makes sense. Cultivate gratitude and joy. Let go of gloominess and heaviness of heart. The truth is that Heaviness of heart will not allow love to stay. It's difficult to love someone who is gloomy, who is always heavy. Cultivate intuition and trust in faith. Let go of the need for physical certainty. We have to trust. I've been hurt before. I can't get into a relationship, get in and 
trust God. Get in and trust God. Get in and trust God. Let go of physical, the need for physical certainty. Cultivate creativity. Let go of crippling comparisons. They that compare themselves with themselves and compare themselves among themselves, the Bible says they are not wise. Don't compare your relationship with another person's relationship. Don't let people get you to compare you with another person. When you lead a unit at work, the people there will compare you with the person that left before you. The person that vacated the seat for you. Say it's nicer than you. Is this, is that. You know, all those kind of things. But when you focus on creativity and you tell yourself, I want to be myself, I want to do things better, I want to just evolve, I want to do what I'm supposed to do. Cultivate play and rest. Let go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth. The way some people are carrying themselves, people who are making 10 times the amount of money you make, they still smile, they still play with their spouse and their children. But your own is exhaustion all the time. You can't even say you love yourself, let alone love me another person. I remember one time I had to tell my wife that even Obama, President of America, eh, they still show him on, at least you still see him going on holiday with his family. If Obama can go on holiday, there's no reason for anybody not to go on holiday. I don't think there's any country that's volatile as America and, you know, with issues everywhere. So cultivate play and rest. Let go of exhaustion as a status symbol. That we are the hustlers of Lagos. Always working, never stopping. <laughs> we don't have time to love anybody. We don't have time to even love ourselves. There's nothing in that. Cultivate calm and stillness. Let go of anxiety as a lifestyle. Cultivate laughter, song, and dance. Let go of being cool and always in control. David demonstrated that when they brought the Ark of Covenant. That's where we got the song from. How we dance, how we dance. How we dance like David danced. David danced until they were seeing his boxer shorts. And they, a lady, you know, was saying, ah, his wife was, ah, how will you disgrace yourself like this? A whole king. David was vulnerable. He, he cultivated, you know, a, a free life. Not all this, you have to be cool. You have to always be in control. Even when people want to love you, when they see how you are always trying to be in control of the atmosphere around you, what happens? They chill. They, they just pull back. Yeah. Some people will get into a place, want to control everything and control everybody. Love cannot flow to you that way. Lastly, cultivate a healthy heart. Let go of heart and learn to forgive. Learn to forgive. Let go of heart and learn to forgive. Let go of heart and learn to forgive. Hearts, unforgiveness, 
they all block our emotional pipe. Things cannot flow through. So we're flooded by hatred and all sorts of things when the emotional channel is blocked. The wrongdoing of yesterday has not been forgiven and somebody's already doing another one today and it's piling up and it's piling up and the Bible says love does not keep a record of wrongs but what happens is that when you instead of allowing God to take charge decide to take things into your hand you find yourself not cultivating a healthy heart I want you to lift your right hand to God this afternoon, this afternoon and just tell him Lord give me the heart of David Give me the heart that can receive and give love freely. Give me the heart that will not help you in my situation, but wait on you. Give me that kind of heart. Give me that kind of heart. Give me that kind of heart. And if there's someone here this afternoon, you're struggling. You're struggling with receiving love. You're struggling with giving love. Tell him, Lord, I receive the courage to love again. I receive the courage to forgive. I receive the courage to walk in love. I receive the courage not to break the hedge when it comes to the law of love. I receive the courage. I receive the courage. The courage to forgive. The courage to be at peace with all men. I receive the courage. I receive the courage. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We receive grace over every hearer this afternoon. Everyone present here, everyone watching on the internet. We ask everlasting Father that your grace rest upon everyone right now. Lord, whoever has broken the edge and crossed the line and broken the law of love, we ask for restoration right now. We ask for healing in the heart of every man and woman. Lord, we ask that you give us the heart of David. The heart that can make us men and women after your heart. We thank you for your grace released. Lord, as we go this afternoon, help us to see what we need to work on. Lord, for someone here who needs to cultivate a healthy heart, someone here who needs to give, uh, uh, give attention to stillness, to calmness. Someone here who needs to give attention to gratitude and joy and let go of the spirit of heaviness. Lord, help us to obey your word. Lord, if there be anyone under the...